0: Welcome to the
1: Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski, and today we're talking to Molly McQuarrie. Molly is the mental performance coach at T3 Performance, which is in Avon, Ohio, which is just outside of Cleveland. Now, mental performance coaching incorporates exercises in a number of different areas, and these are basically exercises for your brain, not your body. And we'll get into all of this in just a few minutes, but first, Molly, let me thank you for coming on the Courtside Culture Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat.
1: So I've gotten to watch you work with young athletes firsthand, and it's impressive. But I also think that your Mental Reps newsletter that you put out each month is spectacular. And that getting you on this podcast became extremely important after the World watched what happened to Simone Biles at the Olympics. So we're going to get into all of that, Molly. But my first question for you is, when people come up to you and ask you what your job is, what do you tell them?
0: Good question. Um, So I think there are a number of different ways to kind of explain what I really do. Other than just saying that I train the mental side of sport, um, I I like to explain it in this way. Athletes, especially here at T3, are working on their physical skill work every single day, day in and day out. And when they step out on their field of play, no one can strip that away from them. But in a split second, their composure, their ability to cope with the pressure, to recover after error, um, all of those things, their confidence, all of that can just go away you know? And, and so that's really my job is to help athletes create those skills and provide those tools and teach those, those skills to athletes in order to regulate all of that side of the sport. And so, you know, we've got 50 to 70,000 thoughts on a daily basis. There is no way that all of those are positive and they don't have to be. Um, but what's so important about those 50 to 70,000 thoughts is that it creates this chain reaction. And so when athletes have a thought, it creates an emotion, and then that emotion creates a physical response in their body, and that's how they perform. And so I, I take the approach of working on that thought start of the chain reaction, and then also working on and teaching athletes how to manage the physical responses to stress and pressure.
1: So were you always planning to be a sports psychologist or, you know, was this this a path that, that you had in mind all along? How did you end up becoming a mental performance coach?
0: So I originally, I had no clue that this existed. So I grew up in a really small town in Kentucky where... And I graduated in 2015, so this wasn't really a conversation, especially not in the area where I grew up, and it's still not really a conversation in the area that I grew up. Um, so, I didn't know that this existed growing up. Um, I was a super anxious athlete. I played softball when I was younger, and then I really like, honed in on swim and volleyball, and... I was just super anxious but I did not know what that was. And I went to UK um, and I pursued pre-physical therapy um, and have a degree in kinesiology my undergrad is. and I studied abroad and it was I had a semester left of college when I studied abroad. And I lived in Australia and worked in Australia for about four months with the physical therapist. And my random roommate at the time was working with a sports psychologist. He was on the sidelines of pro rugby games. He was doing research on athletes' brains and, and looking into concussions. And every day we would come home from both of our jobs and she would tell me all about it. I was just fascinated. And I knew from that moment I needed to look further into it. And so I went back to UK, and I'd already applied to PT school, gotten into a PT school, um, and I took the two sports side classes that UK had to offer, and I fell in love with it. And I knew that younger athlete in myself, it it just sparked something within that younger athlete, knowing that now I could learn all of this information and provide that to young athletes that struggled just like me. Um, That's what really sparked my interest and that's really how i got into it
1: well it's funny to say because you know as <clears> we, were, we were talking before we started to record you know i mentioned to you that you know part of the reason when the Hoopheads uh network asked me if i would be interested in doing this podcast i was because similar to your story i had something happen like that that shook my mm-hmm. confidence you know and mm-hmm. and it was it was in high school and so you know that I guess you know it, it, taking a, a page out of your book. That's that's part, you know it's part of the reason I, I like doing this podcast because you know because you I'm sure there are thousands and thousands probably millions of stories you know like ours. Now, so right. when you you decide to to make this move into mental performance coaching, you're probably thinking you know I, I mean I don't know were you thinking you're going to be working in an office and not like a thirty thousand square foot workout facility.
0: Right. I think that's the the main view of what you would consider therapy, right? Like you picture this couch and everyone at work jokes about, we got to get you a couch and that would be nice. But, <laughs> you know, a lot of my sessions, so I'll explain this also a little bit further, but I do one-on-one training with athletes where that is generally in a, an office setting at T3 we've got two offices so whichever one is open and sometimes they're not open so I'm outside or in the corner of the facility somewhere but I do one-on-one stuff and and that is typically in an office setting to have more you know in-depth conversation to really lay down the skill work but most of the work that I'm doing like you said you saw me this summer I was in dugouts right I'm in baseball dugouts and I'm at practices, um, I'm at games and it's a a different setting than most people would probably think, but you're actually in the trenches with the athletes. You know, I didn't really expect when I first heard about sports psychology to be in that type of setting, but it's not just what people think of, Hey, let's sit down on a couch and talk. It's very applied.
1: Right. Exactly. And you know, and so then what exactly is your degree? Is it, is it in psychology?
0: Yeah. So I have a master's in sports psychology and I'm actually finishing up my doctor right now. I'm, I'm starting my, I'm done with all my classes, but I, all I have left to do is finish up my research that so I've just gotten started. So
1: almost done with that. And so tell me how, cause I feel like T3 has been at, and I guess you know, we've had Mike D'Andrea on the podcast and, yeah. uh, and this, this was part of the reason because I feel like T3 has been at the forefront of, of, you know, mental health for athletes, Um, you know, do you feel the same way? But also, how did you find T3 or did T3 find you?
0: I found T3. So after I graduated from UK, it was really, you know, and after I, I got my master's, I needed a lot of clinical hours to, you know, get finished, my doctorate and all that. So I, for some reason just had a lot of friends at UK that I met that that they were from Cleveland. I was looking to move, get out of Kentucky and I'd visited Cleveland for a little while. And I was like, I I think I could really make the move here. So I started just Googling what opportunities I knew there were a lot more athletic facilities and more athletic community here in Cleveland. And I found T3 off of a Google search. And I reached out to Ryan Richmond, one of our coaches, and he's in charge of our offsite development and our um internship and so I just submitted my resume, got an internship, and started interning here for I think four months and you know, I was just really observing on the floor, and then I started to think about how could I incorporate this degree that I'm getting? Here because they didn't have anything for mental health or mental skills training for athletes. And I kind of just brought it up to Mike. And one of the, I, I admire Mike because any coach that comes in this building, if they have ideas, he's willing to hear it. And as long as you put the drive behind it, he'll support it. Um, and so I had a conversation with Mike and it started out me just doing quick 10 minute hits with athletes after their workouts. So I'd have a group of five athletes, and I would do a quick little hit as an intern. Um, and then that quickly grew into having one-on-one clients, going and working with all of our off-site teams, doing workshops with teams um, at their facilities, and traveling with our baseball teams and things like that. And I think it's grown so quickly. I now have an intern who's helping out. Um, so I see this growing very, very quickly.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's really becoming more mainstream where I think, you know, maybe even, I mean, I'd say five or 10 years ago, if somebody, you know, okay. If one of your teammates saw, saw you off in the corner with Molly, you know, there's a chance you're going to come back and probably get your chops busted because, you know, you, yeah, you got to go talk to Molly, huh? You know, like, what are you going crazy? I can just feel that. But today I don't feel that anymore. I feel like you know the, the mental health and do and people like Kevin Love and you know and other people you know I have, have also you know they've helped to to you know push this into the mainstream but i just feel like you know we have to young athletes you know i mean i even say adults we have to know how to train our brains right like we mm-hmm. do our bodies
0: and and that's such a great point so whenever all of this Simone Biles stuff started to hit the media um and you see more elite athletes coming out and talking about mental health and talking about mental conditioning. Um, I I really like to explain it in more athletic terms. So if mental health, um, is the exact same as general fitness, mental conditioning is like prehab and mental illness could be considered like an injury if we're using athletic terms. So some of us do a great job with our general fitness and our mental health, But we never really address specific weaknesses with mental conditioning. So that's why athletes struggle on game day. And so what I do is a lot like prehab. And sometimes those struggles add up. They flare up and they turn into triggers, a full-blown injury or, you know, maybe what we would consider a mental illness. Um, But it's really starting to move and i hope this continues to take a prehab approach whereas when i'm back here with athletes i'm setting them up for success when the season starts right so if i'm working with one of our t3 warhawks players what's going to happen is I'm going to be working with them for a couple of weeks and we're going to be really laying the foundation to prepare and prep our mind for what is going to come, the adversity that's going to come for that season. And I don't think we're there yet. I think we wait until kids are struggling and then we go see the sports psych or we go see the mental conditioning coach. Um, And that's kind of where we're at now from what I've seen and observed here. But, more and more, I'm seeing finally athletes who are coming to me just because they want that competitive advantage and they want to be prepared. If that makes sense, it
1: makes total sense. And I and here's and, and and I'm curious to to hear if you agree with me. But I think these are you know the the things that you're doing with these young athletes, I think can also be applied with adults in an office setting, especially if you were an athlete if you played you know and I, I was a you know I was a jock okay and. But I I take a lot of the you know the same type of competitiveness that I had on the field I took with me you know to to the world of work you know going after a job you know uh, preparing you know, studying the company you're applying with, right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, studying, like, it's almost like studying your opponent, right. Or even if you're, you know, you're, you're going after a promotion or you have to go, you know, the boss calls you in. Oh, you got to go talk to the boss. All those thoughts start going through your head. Oh my goodness. what's You know, it's like, it's three and two, right. Two outs, bottom of the ninth and the championships on the line. You know, it's to, to me, I've always tried to do that. I've always tried to apply, you know, the, the same type of, you know, I, I just call it competitiveness because like, I always want to win. I always want to make sure I come out on, on top and I, and, right. I, and I do it the right way. But to me, I feel like a lot of the things you're doing with the athletes, I think adults can learn from in the business world. What do you
0: think? 100% I think there's this mental skills is seen in a box with athletes and that is not all that it is. So while I've been at T3, I've worked with our coaches not just our baseball coaches or our sport coaches i've worked with our strength and conditioning coaches i have monthly meetings with our coaches one-on-one sit down monthly meetings just to check in and to work on any of the things that they want to work on that's going to help better them be a better not just a better coach but a better teammate to their co-workers um, and to help progress themselves from a personal level and so many, mente- so many um you know let's use google for example they have mental skills coaches that come on a panel right and this is this is being put into corporate settings i'm about to go do a two-part workshop with university hospitals and so this is really able to transfer into a lot of different types of settings um but specifically here at t3 yeah it's been huge for our coaches huge
1: you know, speaking of coaches, and, and do you find like sometimes and and, and okay, and, I, and I, I just go back to what happened to me, okay, and that's 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 what I'm going to mm-hmm. to use uh, as my example. And my thought is when I look back on it, of course, I did not know, you know, and, you know, and there there was no mental performance coaching, and there was we had none of that back in you know the late eighties. Right. But but what I think is what the coach said to me, I think. It wasn't so much, you know, what he was saying. It was how he said it that mm. set me off. Are those some of the discussions you have with coaches? Not that we have kids that are soft, but nope. but understanding, like, how impactful, even though you may not think they're impactful, how impactful they could be for our young athletes?
0: They set the stage 100%. I I do monthly meetings with our coaches specifically. Um, When we shut down for COVID, the team got together on a daily basis and did Zooms. And we really worked on our own development and how that affects our athletes. And so one of the biggest things that I've covered is psychological safety. And when people hear that, they think, oh, we're pushing the brakes. We're creating soft athletes. That's not what we're doing at all. We're actually creating an environment here specifically at T3 that is based around psychological safety. So what that means is, are we setting the stage properly? Are we emphasizing the purpose of what we're doing and why we're doing it? Are we creating an environment where athletes feel like they can speak up and ask questions and have engagement with their coaches? And also, are we destigmatizing failure? Failure equals learning. And if we are not creating an environment where athletes can fail and it drive them and they learn from it, they're going to be operating out of fear of failure. There's a huge difference between athletes who are operating out of fear of failure and an athlete who is operating towards success. And if that psychological safety component is missing, you've more than likely got athletes operating out of fear of failure. And so that's what we want to stay away from, and that's really what we've been working on. And any time that I go out and I do workshops with with any of our college teams, any of our high school teams, any of our travel teams, I'm making sure that those coaches know exactly what I'm teaching the athletes because I can't be at our off-site, you know, teams' practice every single day. I can't even be at all of our T3 warhog practices every day and so or, or all of their games you know and so it's really important that the coaches know exactly what I'm working on with these athletes and not just from a team setting but if I'm working with an individual athlete it's really important to take that holistic approach you know um, is it okay for their coaches to know what we're talking about so in the moment when I'm not there they're able to kind of set that stage and be able to communicate with these athletes the best that they can.
1: I think that's incredibly important because, you know, and honestly, my next question was going to be like, do you think coaches, I mean, across the board, not just, you know, the coaches at T3, but, you know, across in high schools all across the country or, you know, in and colleges. And I know, you know, because I've had, you know, I've had some. Uh, people Mm -hmm. from duke and i've had people you know people on from from some of the division one schools so i know that that the division one schools are are starting to get more into it but you know the division threes the naias the you know the juco's coaches just across the board do they need to understand the importance of the relationship between mental health you know and our student athletes and how it can impact the way they play? Do you feel like, A, that they do understand this a little bit better now? You know, and and B, do we still have a lot of work to go?
0: I think we still have a lot of work to go. I think here at T3, oh, we understand. But across the board, um, yeah, I think we still have a lot. I and mean, that's just from my perspective. You know, I, I talked about where I grew up, and I, I reached out to... Our athletic department and there just wasn't an understanding there but I've had individual coaches now who I would have never thought from my high school reach out to me and ask for me to come talk with their athletes so that is an improvement we are seeing a huge improvement but I just still feel like there is a lack of understanding and there needs to be a lot of education done because I, I think that there's still this Myth of weakness, you know, showing vulnerability is not a form of weakness. Humility is not a form of weakness. Recovery is not a form of weakness. Asking for help is not a form of weakness. But coaches have to understand that and be educated to know about that chain reaction that I I mentioned at the beginning of this. Our thoughts trigger how we perform 100%. In order to swing a bat, in order to shoot a shot, we have a thought. And so if, if we don't understand that and get control of the beginning part of that, there's no possible way we're, we're operating at our best and performing at our best. And I, I say this to all of the, you know, I just worked with a football team yesterday and they expressed the importance of like thinking positive and how they, they really struggle with getting positive. And I'm like, listen guys, we don't have to get positive. We just need to know how to get neutral. And if you know how to get neutral, you have that much more leverage over the team who's not doing this. And I think when we start viewing this mental brain training as a competitive advantage versus, oh, they're just being seen because there's a weakness there, that's when we'll see the real shift. When we take the perspective of brain training is really just a competitive advantage over everyone else who isn't doing it. Everyone's going to get tired. It's the athlete who can tap into something different that's going to come out on top. And so when coaches start to realize that and get on that page, the game will change for sure.
1: And I think, too, that coaches need to understand parents you know, and the players – this isn't a one-off thing. This isn't, this isn't like, <laughs> you're not going to, you're, you're not going to go to university hospitals tomorrow or whatever and, you know, and talk to all these people and all of a sudden they're going to be like, you know, like like running through walls, you know? 100%. Like, like this, this is just like the exercise. This is like working out. This is like running. This is not a sprint. This is not a, this is a marathon. This is a, something that has to be done on a daily basis. You have to keep working. Working on it, and you have to get everybody on the same page, and that's why I appreciate when you said that you know to get the coach involved. I think it's a team effort because I think it takes a village, right? You know, especially today with you know between the social media and all the you know the negativity and everything that's that's going on. You know, it takes a village, and and so I think that's the other thing people need to understand. This isn't something where you well you talk to Molly, aren't you
0: better now? Oh my goodness, doesn't work that way. (laughs) I will get I will get calls. I'll get text oh, such and such has a showcase coming up. Can you please meet with him? And the showcase is in two days. Granted, yeah, I'll talk to him. I'll listen to him. I will give him as much guidance as I possibly can. But if we go over a reset routine and create an individual reset routine for an athlete, let's say this athlete really struggles after they make an error. They can't seem to let go of it. It bleeds into the rest of the game. It bleeds into the next pitch. If I talk to that athlete and we create a reset routine on Monday, you probably shouldn't expect to see that work on a Tuesday, you know, and that's kind of what is expected. But also if I work on a reset routine with that athlete on a Monday and they haven't thought about it or practice it at practice or back here in the cages, and they have a game on Friday, they're not gonna remember what that even even exists. They're not even gonna remember to do the reset routine because they've gotta get the repetition in at it in a controlled environment, in a comfortable environment, and then start applying that into uncomfortable environments. So that when they're in that high pressure situation, they can actually use that reset routine and actually work. But a lot of times, if an athlete is being, you know, if their parents are pushing for it or if it's not really them that wants to be there and work on it, they're not going to be getting the repetition in at this on a daily basis or every other day or a couple times a week. They have to want that as well, but you have got to get the repetition in just like, and I'll use this, you know, when I go talk to teams, how good would you be if you've got a, you've got a football game, your, your opening day is, on Friday you you didn't even practice but one time this entire summer how good would you guys be they're like we'd be awful I'm like exactly don't expect to be good at these skills we just talked about yesterday you've got to get the reps in at it it's the same exact thing as your physical skills
1: so do you think, obviously, the, the podcast is called the Courtside Culture Podcast, and we do talk a lot about culture, but, I, I mean, I think that this part of the game now is such a big part of building a good team culture. What are your thoughts?
0: A is a player's
1: mental health and team culture, or do they go hand in hand?
0: Yes, I think that the environment really has a huge effect on our athletes and unfortunately just from what i've experienced here at t3 our athletes crave that club experience they crave the travel summer ball experience because the culture is there and then they go off to their high school teams and some of them really struggle because the culture is off there and so that that affects the way that they play it, it truly does I think it goes hand in hand I think the environment has a huge huge um, thing to play it, it's a huge thing to play into the mental health aspect of athletes
1: and and well yeah and so you know that's why I again I go back to what you said about the the athlete coming to you but then you also being able to share what the athlete's sharing with you with the coach you know i also think like you just said a parent will text or what you know um i I always talk about i call i call it the ppc and i love the office but it's not the party planning committee it's you know it's parents Mm -hmm. players and coaches all parents players and coaches the ppc have to work together on pretty much everything to Mm -hmm. me to establish that team culture and i think it's especially true when it comes to The things that you're talking about here. Do you experience that already? I mean, I don't want you to have, I don't want you giving away any secrets, but I mean, do you experience that already where you're able to talk to parents and coaches and players and everybody involved when somebody comes to you?
0: Yeah. So right off the bat, if I'm working with an individual athlete, I always have the confidentiality conversation because I want to be able to build that rapport and build trust with that athlete. If, if I don't have the trust and the athlete doesn't have the trust in me, these skills are not going to work. You know, that that relationship with us starts first. And I, I I leave it up to them. Do Who do you want to be involved in this experience? If it's just us two, that's completely fine. If you're comfortable with your coaches knowing that you're meeting with me, what would you like to share with them? What what kind of conversations would you like them to be involved in, if any at all? You know, from a parent standpoint, do you want them to know what we're talking about? Is it okay if they know what we're talking about? I leave that up to the athlete. And some athletes don't want their parents involved at all. And that's because sometimes, you know, the athletes I'm seeing, they're seeing me because of their parents. <laughs> To be quite frank um and so sometimes the parents aren't involved and i respect that decision um but with an athlete who's open and and wanting you know their coaches to be able to help them in the moment and to, you know maybe just tell them some things that in the heat of the moment that might help them that they need to hear then 100 percent i'm all for that holistic approach of having them all involved i think it's so so important um but i always respect the athletes wishes
1: well and you know the other part of this too I think is when everybody's working together I think you know and tell me if you've experienced this I think it's an opportunity for everybody to learn from each oh, other yes. right you know and and so cuz I, I as you were talking I just sitting there I'm thinking back to you know what happened to me in high school and and that coach you know and I wonder like let's say if Molly was was there back at Cleveland Central Catholic You know, and, and I went to Molly and I said, I said, coach said this to me. And like, I I just can't, you know, I can't shake it. Like all of a sudden now I'm afraid to fail Mm -hmm. and we go back to coach and you explain to coach, well, you know, it's what you said to him that Mm -hmm. that's kind of screwing with his head. It's, I I think though, I, I think back to, you know, and I wonder, well, how would coach reacted to that? and would would that have would that have flipped the script on him and just really would what does he write the player off at that point or is he is he you know is he big enough to take a step back and say you know what you're right molly i should have reworded that i should have done and now i see how it affects it. have you had any experiences like that yet or you know i mean or is this like is this one of the ultimate goals of doing all of
0: this you know, it's super interesting how you said, I wonder how that coach would perceive that. And it's it's really about understanding that feedback is a gift, but you really have to train for it. You know, untrained minds will, will hear criticism and feel that they've underperformed or that they weren't adequate at what they were doing, but trained minds – are able to split out the constructive feedback and criticism and use the feedback to improve, whether that be their play, their coaching, their parenting. It all goes back to ego. And And are these coaches willing to be learners? It takes a lot to be a learner. It's hard to learn. It's hard to separate, you know, those two things from hearing criticism and and not hearing criticism um, and being willing and open to learn. And, and a lot of the things that I do is set the stage for that. Um, so if I go work with, a, let, let's say I go work with a basketball team and, and they aren't you know, a team that frequents T3, but I'm just gonna go there and do some mental skills work with them. I have that conversation before with the coaches. Hey, I, I, I'm gonna be doing these workshops What's going to benefit the athlete the most? Um, and then a lot of times in those workshops, I do not have the coach in the room for that because it allows the team to open up a little bit to me. Um, and then from there, I can kind of gather some information from the team and and really have a conversation after the fact with coaches of, hey, how do you feel like we could improve in these areas? You know, asking open-ended questions so that I'm not just blatantly giving you know, to direct feedback of, hey, you should not be doing this. This is not benefiting your athlete's performance whatsoever. Um, Kind of guiding them to that and suggesting some things is how I handle those types of coaches. Um, But a lot of coaches are super open and willing to learn. So it it really depends on the coach that you're talking to.
1: Well, and, you know, the other thing, too, that this gets me thinking about is – you know, do coaches, I mean, do, what do you tell coaches of, about the connection between, you know, building a team culture and, you know, and using, you know, the, the mental performance part of it? I mean, what are the, what are the, what are the, some of the messages you're taking back to the coaches that you've been learning from the athletes?
0: So on the same, I think the biggest, biggest, biggest thing that I take back to coaches is how to give proper feedback a lot of coaches haven't been educated on that aspect of the game and how feedback really does affect mindset, and it also affects the way that athletes perform and learn. And so even here at T3, uh, we've worked on this of are we giving fixed feedback? Are we giving process feedback? When are we giving that feedback? You know, not every athlete needs the same type of feedback as the next, um, and, and that plays a huge role in the culture of how – what type of feedback are you giving? Is it productive to their performance or not? And so I kind of take an an informative approach to that um, and just lay the groundwork of the different types of feedback that coaches can be giving. Um, And and I do a lot of team building exercises, Um, a ton. We do it on our staff, but I also do it with teams as well. It translates pretty much the exact same. I, you know, change up the wording for the setting. Um, what I would do with a coach is different than an athlete, but there's one specific exercise that comes to mind that I really, really like to do. Um, it's simple. It's really getting into your little small groups of a team and providing feedback to each other. And so it kind of takes that I don't have to be so direct. They're able to discover that on their own. That's where the most growth happens is when people can, you know, really discover that on their own. But the question is, what could you, what could your teammate stop or stop doing for the betterment of the team? So if we were in a group, I would provide you feedback with one thing that you could start or stop doing for the betterment of the team that really opens up a lot of room for discussion and also just awareness. Um, And it allows people to be open and it creates a time slot to give that feedback. Um, And I've seen a lot of growth with that type of setup.
1: I think one of the important things you bring up using the word growth is so many times, you know, and I've, and I've heard this, you know, with, with my sons, you know, well, you know, we want your, we want the players to come to the coach players. want They have to come to the coach, but I, I get that. And I want that, but, what I think everybody needs to understand is maturation is a process. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some kids who are, you know, obviously mature faster, you know, and, and will be more comfortable, you know, going to the coach and saying certain things, but there are other kids that just, you know, no matter how much a parent is going to tell them, you got to talk to the coach, you got to talk to the coach, you got to talk to the coach. They're just never going to feel comfortable doing it. Then, if they do build up the courage to do it, coach needs to remember that you know if it's the first line, like you know and I and I get it. Coach could be having a bad day. I don't know. Car could have broke down on the way to practice. I don't know. But the the reaction and the response could could really set this player off one way or the other, you know, because mm-hmm. of the maturity level, right? If they don't mm-hmm. understand, you, you know, what just happened, because again, I just, I, I just look at, you know, how I would have reacted, you know, back in the late eighties compared to, you know, knowing what I know now, two totally different ways I, I could have handled it. I mean, totally. right? Because of the, just because of having the life experience and the maturity. So just, just telling a kid to go to the coach, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that. And like you talked about, it's growth and that maturation. It is a process. And again, to me, you're throwing all this stuff in the pot and you're cooking it up and you're creating that culture. I mean, do you, am Mm -hmm. I, am I off base in, in, in my thinking? Not at
0: all. It, It all feeds into each other because here's the thing with the work that I do. Yeah. You have to get uncomfortable. You have to be vulnerable. And, if I'm working with a group of 17-year-old boys, this is super uncomfortable for them to have certain conversations and to do certain exercises that I do. They have to talk about things that they normally don't openly talk about, and that really speeds up that vulnerability trust process. And when we do that, the culture improves immensely.
1: And I think, too, even though you have, you know, a, a lineup of 17 year old boys, not every one of those 17 year old boys is as mature as the other. I think, you know, they're, you know what I mean? Because of their backgrounds and what they've done, you know, and just because they're on a 17U team. You know, the the kid may have just turned 17 and he's on the team with kids who are, you know, f- just fit under the age. And they're they're 18 and beyond. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so, right. you know, it, it's it, all of that, I think, just comes into play. And, and I agree with you. You got to you got you to gotta get uncomfortable to get comfortable. It's, it's a you know, it's, it's a big part of it, you know. But again, this is the first time probably a lot of these kids are going through it.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. So let's just if
1: you can briefly i know you and I, on your website you have the list of kind of things that mental performance coaching the exercises that you incorporate and it's athletic identity routines for readiness self talk goal setting focus distraction concentration imagery anxiety and emotional management managing performance errors we've kind of touched on a little bit you know through throughout our conversation on on some of these but is there mm-hmm. one that stands out to you more than the other but first of all you know what let me start here explain what athletic identity is
0: okay so I um, an easy way to explain that is if I were to walk up to one of our 12 u athletes I shake their hand and I'm like hi I'm Molly tell me a little bit about yourself more than likely that 12u athletes can say, "Hi, I'm Johnny and I'm a baseball player." And I did this exercise when I was an intern with our younger athletes and that's exactly what happened. Because that is the athlete identity that they take on. That is the role that they see that's at the top of their mind. And so it is really about creating a whole person. Not just a basketball player, not just a baseball player, not just a softball player. It's about creating a whole identity so that when adversity comes, they can manage that, that experience. And when they need to transition out of sport, they're able to do that in a healthy manner. That's what I see athletic identity really as. Um, and, and just having a healthy relationship with their sport. That's what I see athletic identity as.
1: And then, you know, number two on the list, routines for readiness. We've kind of talked about this. like this is this is just as you go into the weight room every day or you go to you know you get on the treadmill you know every day, you have your workout routine. The, this is a, a workout routine for your brain that we're doing here when mm-hmm. you're applying all of these things that you've talked about, correct?
0: Yes, this is just, you know, whether it be like a pre-pitch routine, a pre-shot routine, um, a pre-game routine, all of those things. That's That's what goes into routines for readiness.
1: And the other one I want on the list that I I want to talk about, because because of what happened with Simone Biles, is the whole anxiety and emotional management. Now this Mm -hmm. is this is a premier athlete. This is a world class athlete. So you know the physical talents are there. You know she's in shape, right? You know she has put in all of the work. You know, leading up to this, Mm -hmm. and what. Is the one? It's not. It's not a twisted ankle, right? It's not a. You know. It's. It's not a sore wrist. It's not a. It's her brain that really is what got in her way, and so. What are some of the things, you know, like we saw it firsthand. So that's why, like, it's important for people to understand, like, this is a thing, you know, it, yeah. it happens to the best in the world. So imagine what, you know, what could happen to your, you know, to your son or daughter, you know, who, who was out on the field, if, if they feel, if they, you know, all this pressure, the anxiety and emotional management. Can you talk about that aspect of the uh, the coaching that you do?
0: Yeah, it is the I would say the biggest thing that I do um, is helping athletes regulate their physical responses to anxiety, um, and just the physical response that's triggered from those thoughts and the emotions that they're having, and and really taking an educational approach of understanding what's going on in their body and why it is happening and what those thoughts are creating within them. And so a lot of this management that I talk about is just having the awareness to recognize that in certain situations, these are probably going to be my triggers. I can probably expect to feel this way so that when it does happen, they know how to manage those things. So for a lot of my athletes, they incorporate muscle relaxation, breath work, thought stoppage, um, thought reframing. And so most athletes that I work with, I would say more than, than not. So, you know, it's possible for an athlete to be too relaxed, but it's also possible for an athlete to be the exact opposite and way too amped up. And so most of the athletes that I work with are more so anxious. My clientele currently, um, I would see more clients, that fit into that kind of aspect. Um, and so getting those pre-performance routines put into place, pre-pitch routines, all of those pre-shot routines, all that is incorporated reset routines is incorporated. So all that means is getting, you know, breath work sequences put in place. That's going to help lower that heart rate, loosen up those muscles, calm the mind is huge. Um, and then, You know a lot of athletes when they're anxious feel tense and tight and so getting muscle relaxation script put into place so that they can listen to that you know let's say before they fall asleep um a couple nights a week so that when they are in the high pressure situation and they're feeling that in their body they know exactly how to manage that in a quick portable way and so while you know a lot of this work needs to be done off the field it has to be done off the field because when they are put on the court or on the field or whatever area they're playing in, you know, they have to make this quick and portable. Most sports, you don't have a lot of time to go sit for a couple of hours or go sit for 15 minutes even and collect yourself. And so all I mean by management is really learning how to make these things quick and portable when we are on the court.
1: That's exactly right. And in no way do I want to I am. I'm not making light at all of what happened with Simone Biles. But what right. it, what it got me thinking about, though, was the movie Bull Durham. Have you ever seen Bull Durham? Yes. So this movie, I, I think, if if w- the way I look at it is, it's it's a little bit ahead of its time, because remember, Nuke Lelouch. Can't find it, right? I mean, he's got all mm-hmm. the physical skills, right? He can throw at 100 miles an hour. He's got, you know, he's got the, the talent is there, but he just can't get it over the plate. So, what does Susan Sarandon tell him to do? Wear a garter belt, right? Because mm-hmm. what does it do? It takes his mind off of what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what fixes them, right? Mm-hmm. You know. And so, I, ever since I saw that movie, like, and and this is like, I would tell, I would, you know, the kids I've coached, and you know, and my sons, you know, I tell them all the time, you know, without telling them it's Bull Durham. I'm like, don't think, just do. And so, there there are so many times, like, I've seen, you know, I've seen athletes like he needs to put on a garter belt and start breathing through his eyelids, just like you know, <laughs> just like in Bull Durham. Because, but I mean, it seems, you know what I mean? It seems so simple, and you know, and and it's entertaining in the movie. But it it gets the job done, right? Because typically, what happens when you know when we falter in those those situations is we're probably thinking too much. What do you think?
0: I, I definitely think most of the athletes I work with oh, would would say they are overthinkers, and the issue is is they try not to think at all, and that's not possible. And so when we're, I, I use this I use this analogy, and it resonates with every athlete that I've talked to. They say so if I were to leave you in the room you're in right now, let's say you're just sitting in your in your recording spot and I put a little red button on the floor. Don't push the little red button. You gotta stay in that room for mm, like five hours. Don't push that little red button. It's just you and the little red button. What are you gonna wanna do? You're gonna wanna push the push little the red button. button. Yeah. <laughs> You want to push that button really bad. And so it translates the exact same on the court or the field. It's like, if I'm if I'm there and I'm thinking, don't mess up, don't mess up, don't mess up, don't mess up, what am I more than likely going to do? Mess up. And so we try to shut off all the thoughts and that is just not possible. We've got 50 to 70,000 a day and our brain's job is to protect us. So the automatic thoughts are always gonna come, but it is a skill to learn how to reframe those and to give our brain a task to think about something else that's productive. And it's really about where do we put our attention? What are we putting our attention on? Is it performance effective or not? It's not that our athletes lose focus, it's that they're just not focusing on the right thing. And so it is a such a skill, such, 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 a, such a skill to be able to, you know, Not just shut off the thoughts, because that's not possible, but to redirect our attention to a different thought. And it's like, our thoughts are cars. And I'm just, if I'm standing at the front door of T3, and I'm looking at the parking lot, and there are cars driving by, there are cars in the parking lot, I'm just going to stand and I'm going to observe them. I can fixate on one car. I don't like the way that that car makes me feel when I look at it, but I'm going to fixate on it. And when it starts to drive away, I'm going to chase after it. Or I could switch my attention to a different car. I like the way it makes me feel. I like the way it makes me perform. You know, those cars are thoughts. We just sometimes forget that we can direct our attention to a different thought. And it's really hard to do that. That's why they have to get the reps in at it.
1: I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast your mental reps newsletter. And also your Twitter feed is is outstanding as well. Can you, Thank and you. a lot of the tips that you're sharing here, you do share in the newsletter. Can you talk about Mental Reps, both the newsletter and Twitter, and and what your goal is with both of those?
0: Yeah, so monthly, um, I've really just been choosing a different topic that I feel like would resonate I really feel like a majority of the subscribers on the newsletter are parents. And so I'm trying to pick information that would be beneficial for parents and coaches to be able to read and then maybe start using that language with their athletes. So that's what I've been trying to gear that tour, whether I'm writing it as if an athlete's reading it. I still think it's super beneficial for, for the parents and coaches to read it so they can start using that language. And so I'm just trying to kind of grow that newsletter and hopefully allow it to be kind of an educational resource. Um, but I'm also on Twitter and on Instagram and now TikTok, because that's the thing that all of the younger athletes are on. Um, it's been a challenge to learn that, but they seem to be doing better than even Instagram and Twitter. Um, But I'm really just putting out quick hits on Twitter and on Instagram that, you know, can be a daily reminder for athletes. And hopefully they read it and it resonates with them and it just creates a little bit of awareness for them.
1: Well, no, you're right about the parents because, uh, you know, not not only myself, but just talking to, to parents throughout the years like they're we feel like we either have to hire a psychologist so many times, like, you know, over the years, or, you know, like, I feel like sometimes I'm I'm already a psychologist because there's so much, you know, cause what happens? Something happens at practice. Something happens in the game, you know, and you, mm-hmm. and you talk, it used to be the car ride home, right. You know, but now, you know, mm-hmm. now you know, they get home and it's like, you know, I, I just, sometimes you just never know what you're going to get when they come through the door, you know? Right. And so, It's, you know, I just feel it's really important. That's why I love talking about this stuff and trying to, you know, I just hope people can understand and and kind of put two and two together when it comes to to culture, you know, and, and the mental part of the game. You know, because a kid's a kid's going to have the the physical part's going to going to be there. You know, the, there's no denying that, right? You'll see yeah. the kid's a good athlete. The kid's a good athlete, but it's the mental part that's kind of like the enigma, right? That we're not right. really really sure. You know, and again, I go back to Simone Biles, where it's like this is it, or even Kevin Love, like you know, these are world class athletes with all of the talent in the world, but they're struggling with with that mindset, and so that's why I think this is so important to bring this all together. And and the the, the tips that you're putting out, you know, and, and especially cause I read them, you know, I'm a parent mm-hmm, and I read them mm-hmm. and I'm looking for that advantage and I hope parents, you know, can, can see that. How can parents, if they hear the podcast or, or anybody, coaches, players, how can they sign up for your newsletter? How can they find you on Twitter?
0: Yeah. Um, so, and even just sessions and information, you can reach me at molly at t3athlete.com. That's my email. Um, and I am, mental reps one on our Twitter and mental reps underscore on Instagram. And so if you go to any of our T3 websites, I have a a link on there that they can, you know, subscribe to the email list, the email newsletter, but also just feel free to reach out to my Email at any time with any questions. You know I have a ton of conversations, a ton of sessions with parents, um, but also work. You know one on one and with teens as well.
1: Well, that's awesome. Now before we get you, you know we got to do what's the coolest with with Molly McQuerry because we do this with everybody at the end of the podcast. And so you mentioned you went to UK. So mm-hmm. I have a feeling I might you know what know. the answer is. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you haven't told me. I mean, you have not told me, but I have a feeling. Molly, what is the coolest place you've ever played or watched a game?
0: 100% without a doubt, Rep Arena. Um, you know, Rupp Arena, the environment that is created in college basketball at rep arena is unreal and i'm sure my difference my answer was probably a little bit expected um but growing up my entire family went to uk and so it's kind of like i just had to go to uk obviously had the choice and i wanted to go to uk um but watching a college basketball game at rep arena is it, it will give you chills you know that whole production they put on before the game starts um, is just electric. And I, I've said this before on another podcast. I, it just gives you chills when you're sitting there before the game starts and they play that, you know, um, re- highlight reel from the past. And then the new, they put off fireworks inside the, the building and then, you know, the game starts. And it's just a community that that loves college basketball. And so I would say Rupp Arena is 100% the best place I've ever watched a sporting event.
1: Is there one particular game that stands out with you more than the others when you think back about the games you've seen at Rupp Arena?
0: I think, well, here's here's the thing. Some of the best UK basketball games that I've watched have been, you know, in a garage with all of my buddies, right? But I think my first game as a freshman there, and I couldn't even tell you who they were playing. But my first game as an actual student there in the student section it is probably my most memorable.
1: Well, I, I, that is uh, that's a great answer. That's why I love asking the question, because the answers are always are always different and they are all very good. Molly, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and sharing your insights. And uh, hopefully, you know, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of things in here that, you know, parents, players and coaches, the PPC, can can take away so thank you so much for coming on
0: thanks for having me i really enjoyed it looking forward to seeing what t3 turns this into i think it's going to be really exciting there's going to be a lot of growth coming up
1: I 100% agree. Hey, folks, if you know a great coach out there who's doing great things, winning games and building a great team culture at the same time, I want to hear about them. We'll ask them to come on the show, just like we did Molly McQuarrie. You can reach me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1, on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, folks, build your players' strengths. Find them all a role, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.